This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Embracing God's Gifts and His Influence. In the first half, Henry B. Eyring shares his address, Gifts of the Spirit for Hard Times. Then in the second half, Michael T. Ringwood speaks on everything we need. We are all in the probationary test of mortality. And wherever we live, that test will become increasingly difficult. We are in the last dispensation of time. God's prophets have seen these times for millennia. They saw that wonderful things were to happen. There was to be a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true Church was to be brought back with prophets and apostles. The gospel was to be taken to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Most marvelous of all, the true Church and its members are to become worthy for the coming of the Savior to His Church and to His purified disciples. But the true prophets also saw that in the last days Satan would rage. There would be wars and rumors of wars that would inspire fear. The courage of many would fail. There would be great wickedness, and Satan would deceive many. Yet happily, many would not be overcome, and many would not be deceived. The fact that you are here listening tonight is evidence that you want to be among those who will not be overcome and will not be deceived. My purpose is to teach you how you can reach that happy and glorious goal. The key for each of us will be to accept and to hold the spiritual gifts we have been promised by God. You who are members of the true Church of Jesus Christ will remember that, after you were baptized, authorized servants of God promised you that you could receive the Holy Ghost. Some of you may have felt something happen when that ordinance was performed. Most of you have felt the effects of that promise being fulfilled in your lives. I will tell you tonight how to recognize that gift, how to receive it every day in your life, and how it will bless you in the days ahead. You have felt the quiet confirmation in your heart and mind that something was true, and you knew that it was inspiration from God. For some of you, it may have come as the missionaries taught you before baptism. It may have come during a talk or lesson in church. It may have come already tonight when something that was true was said or sung, as I felt as I heard the singing and some of you did. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. You feel peace, hope, and joy when it speaks to your heart and mind that something is true. Almost always, I also have felt a sensation of light. Any feeling I may have had of darkness is dispelled, and the desire to do right grows. The Lord promised that having those experiences would be true for you. Here are His words recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants. Quote, and now verily, verily, I say unto thee, put your trust in that spirit 
which leadeth to do good, yea, to do justly, to walk humbly, to judge righteously, and this is my spirit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I will impart unto you of my spirit, which shall enlighten your mind, which shall fill your soul with joy. The Lord also promised that those who have accepted the gift of the Holy Ghost in their lives would not be deceived. He spoke reassuringly to you and to me who live in the times when the Church is being ready for the time when He comes again. Here is the promise from the Doctrine and Covenants. Again, quote, And at that time, when I shall come in my glory, shall the peril be, be fulfilled which I spake concerning the ten virgins. For they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day, and the earth shall be given unto them for an inheritance, and they shall multiply and wax strong, and their children shall grow up without sin unto salvation. For the Lord shall be in their midst, and His glory shall be upon them, and He will be their King and their lawgiver. As you heard those words just now, you may have felt another instance of receiving a manifestation of the Spirit which you have been promised. Those words paint a picture of the day when we may be with the Savior, who spoke of the ten virgins and of His coming again, only this time in glory. And they describe a day when we might be with Him and have His glory upon us. Of all the things to which the Holy Ghost testifies, and which you may have just felt, none is more precious to us than that Jesus is the Christ, the living Son of God. And nothing is so likely to make us feel light, hope, and joy. Then it is not surprising that when we feel the influence of the Holy Ghost, we can also can feel that our natures are being changed because of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. We feel an increased desire to keep His commandments, to do good, and to deal justly. Many of you have felt that effect from your frequent experiences with the Holy Ghost. For instance, for some of you, in the mission field, you had to rely on the Spirit to have the words to teach which the people needed. More than once, and perhaps every day, you had the blessing which Nephi and Lehi had among the people in their mission described in the book of Helaman. And it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi did preach unto the Lamanites with such great power and authority, for they had power and authority given unto them that they might speak. And they also had what they should speak given unto them. Therefore they did speak unto the great astonishment of the Lamanites, to the convincing them, insomuch that there were eight thousand of the Lamanites who were in the land of Zarahemla and round about baptized unto repentance and were convinced of the wickedness of the traditions of their fathers. Now, although you may not have been blessed with so miraculous a harvest, 
you have been given words by the Holy Ghost when you surrendered your heart to the Lord's service. At certain periods of your mission, such an experience came often. If you will think back on those times and ponder, you will also remember that the increase in your desire to obey the commandments came over you gradually. You felt less and less the tug of temptation. You felt more and more the desire to be obedient and to serve others. You felt a greater love for the people. One of the effects of receiving a manifestation of the Holy Ghost repeatedly was that your nature changed. And so, from that faithful service of the Master, you had not only the witness of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ, but you saw evidence in your own life that the Atonement is real. Such service, which brings the influence of the Holy Ghost, is an example of planting the seed which Alma described. Quote, now behold, because you have tried the experiment and planted the seed, and it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow, ye must needs know that the seed is good. And now behold, is your knowledge perfect? Yea, your knowledge is perfect in that thing, and your faith is dormant. And this is because you know, for ye know that the word hath swelled your souls, and ye also know that it hath sprouted up, that your understanding doth begin to be enlightened, and your mind doth begin to expand. Oh, then, is not this real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light, and whatsoever is light is good. Because it is discernible, therefore ye must know that it is good. And now behold, after ye have tasted this light, is your knowledge perfect? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. Neither must ye lay aside your faith, for ye have only exercised your faith to plant the seed, that you might try the experiment to know if the seed was good. And behold, as the tree beginneth to grow, ye will say, Let us nourish it with great care, that it may get root, that it may grow up and bring forth fruit unto us. And now behold, if ye nourish it with much care, ye will get root and grow up and bring forth fruit. Now, if you and I were visiting alone, I wish we could be, where you felt free to ask whatever you wanted to ask, I can imagine you're saying something like this, Oh, Brother Harry, I felt some of the things you have described. The Holy Ghost has touched my heart and mind from time to time. But I will need it consistently if I am not to be overcome or deceived. Is it possible? And if it is, what will it take to receive that blessing? Well, let's start with the first part of your question. Yes, it is possible. Whenever I need that reassurance, and I need it from time to time too, I remember two brothers, Nephi and Lehi, and the other servants of the Lord laboring with them, faced with fierce opposition. They were serving in an increasingly wicked world. They had to deal with terrible deceptions. So I take courage, and so can you. From the words in this one verse of Helaman, the reassurance is tucked into the account of all that happened in an entire year, almost as if to the writer it was not surprising. Listen, 
quote, and in the seventy and ninth year, there began to be much strife. But it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi and many of their brethren, who knew concerning the true points of doctrine, having many revelations daily, therefore they did preach unto the people, insomuch that they did put an end to their strife in that same year. End of quotation, and end of report of the year. They had many revelations daily. So for you and for me, that answers your first question. Yes, it is possible to have the companionship of the Holy Ghost sufficiently to have many revelations daily. It will not be easy, but it is possible. What it will require will be different for each person because we start from where we are in our unique set of experiences in life. But for all of us, there will be at least three requirements. None of them can be gained and retained from a single experience. All of them must be constantly renewed. First, receiving the Holy Ghost takes faith in our Heavenly Father and in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. A memory of a great spiritual experience some time ago where you had confirmed to you that truth won't be sufficient. You will need to be sure of your faith in the moment of crisis, which may come at any time, day or night, when you plead for the influence of the Spirit. You must then be unshaken in your confidence that God lives, that He hears your cry for help, and that the resurrected Savior will do for you what He promised to His servants in His mortal ministry. You remember, quote, that when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of Truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The brothers Nephi and Lehi received many revelations daily. The record shows that they knew concerning the true points of doctrine. Of all of the true doctrine, nothing is more important to you and me than the true nature of God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. For that, I return again and again to the scriptures. For that, I return again and again to prayer. For that, I return again and again to partaking of the sacrament. And above all, I come to know God and Jesus Christ best by keeping the commandments and serving in the Church. By diligent service in the Church, we come not only to know the character of God, but to love Him. If we follow His commands, our faith in Him will grow, and we may then qualify to have His Spirit to be with us. Vibrant faith in God comes best from serving Him regularly. Not all of us have received callings to offices in the Church. Some of you may yet not be called to anything in a formal way, yet every member has a multitude of opportunities to serve God. For instance, for years we have heard the phrase, every member a missionary. That is not a choice. It is a fact of our membership. Our choice is to speak to others about the gospel or not. Similarly, each member is to care for the poor among us and around us. Some of that we do privately and alone. Some we do together with other members. That is why we have fast offerings and service projects.
Our choice is to decide whether to join with the Lord and his other disciples in our day in caring for the poor, as he and his disciples did in his mortal ministry. Most of us have or may have callings as home and visiting teachers. There is in those callings great opportunity to grow in faith that the Lord sends the Holy Ghost to his humble servants. That builds faith and renews our faith in him. I've seen it, and so have many of you. I received a phone call from a distraught mother in a state far away from where I was. She told me that her unmarried daughter had moved to another city far from her home. She sensed from the little contact she had with her daughter that something was wrong, terribly wrong. The mother feared for the moral safety of her daughter. She pleaded with me to help her daughter. So I found out who the daughter's home teacher was. I called him. He was young. And yet he and his companion both had been awakened in the night with not only concern with the girl, but with inspiration that she was about to make choices which would bring sadness and misery. With only the inspiration of the Spirit, they went to see her. She did not at first want to tell them anything about her situation, but they pleaded with her to repent and to choose to follow the path the Lord had set for her and that her mother and father had taught her to follow. She realized as she listened that the only way they could have known what they knew about her life was from God. A mother's prayer had gone to Heavenly Father and the Holy Ghost had been sent to home teachers with an errand. More than once I have heard priesthood leaders say that they had been inspired to go to someone in need only to find the visiting teachers or the home teacher had already been there. My wife, who is here with me tonight, is an example. We had a bishop once who said to me, you know, it bothers me when I get an inspiration tonight to go to someone, your wife has already been there. <laughs> your faith will grow as you serve the Lord in caring for Heavenly Father's children as the Lord's teacher to their home. You will have your prayers answered. You will come to know for yourself that He lives, He loves us, and that He sends inspiration to those with even the beginnings of faith in Him and with the desire to serve Him in His Church. Stay close to the Church if you want your faith in God to grow. And as it grows, so will your ability to claim the promise you were given that you can receive the gifts of the Spirit. Now that first requirement was faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in our Heavenly Father. A second requirement for frequent companionship and direction from the Holy Ghost is to be clean. The Spirit must withdraw from those who are not clean. You remember the sad illustration of that in the history of the people in the Book of Mormon. Quote, and because of their iniquity, the Church had begun to dwindle and they began to disbelieve in the spirit of prophecy and in the spirit of revelation and the judgments of God that stare them in the face. And they saw they had become weak, like unto their brethren, the Lamanites. And if the Spirit of the Lord did no more preserve them, yea, it had withdrawn from them, because the Spirit of the Lord doth not dwell in unholy temples. The path to receiving the Holy Ghost 
is to exercise faith in Christ unto repentance. We can become clean through qualifying for the effects of the Savior's atonement. The covenants offered in baptism by authorized servants of God bring that cleansing. We renew our pledge to keep those covenants each time we partake of the sacrament. And the peace we all seek is the assurance that we have received forgiveness for our sins of omission or commission. The Savior is the one who has been given the right to grant that forgiveness and to give that assurance. I have learned that the Lord gives that assurance when that is the time He chooses, and He does it in His own way. And I have learned to ask for it in prayer. One way He grants that assurance is through the Holy Ghost. If you have difficulty in feeling the Holy Ghost, you might wisely ponder whether there is anything for which you need to repent and receive forgiveness. If you have felt the influence of the Holy Ghost during this day or even this evening, you may take it as evidence that the Atonement is working in your life. For that reason and many others, you would do well to put yourself in places and in tasks which invite the promptings of the Holy Ghost. Feeling the influence of the Holy Ghost works both ways. The Holy Ghost only dwells in a clean temple, and the reception of the Holy Ghost cleanses us through the Atonement of Jesus Christ. You can pray with faith to know what to do to be cleansed and thus qualified for the companionship of the Holy Ghost and the service of the Lord. And with that companionship, you will be strengthened against temptation and empowered to detect deception. A third requirement for the companionship of the Holy Ghost is pure motive. If you want to receive the gifts of the Spirit, you have to want it for the right reasons. Your purposes must be the Lord's purposes. To the degree your motives are selfish, you will find it difficult to receive those gifts of the Spirit which have been promised to you. That fact serves both as a warning and as a helpful instruction. First, the warning. God is offended when we seek the gifts of the Spirit for our own purposes rather than for His. Our selfish motives may not be obvious to us, but few of us would be so blind as the man who sought to purchase the right to the gifts of the Spirit. You remember the sad story of a man named Simon and of Peter's rebuke. Quote, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered the money, saying, Give me also this power, that in whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lost in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, 
that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Apparently, Simon recognized his own corrupt motives. It may not be so easy for each of us. We almost always have more than one motive at a time. And some may be mixtures of what God wants as well as what we want. It is not easy to pull them apart. For instance, consider yourself in the eve of a school examination, which will be coming soon, by the way, or an interview for a new job. You know that the direction of the Holy Ghost could be of great help. I know from my own experience, for example, that the Holy Ghost knows some of the mathematical equations used to solve problems in thermodynamics, <laughs> a branch of the sciences. I was a struggling physics student studying in a book which I still own. I keep it for historic and spiritual reasons. <laughs> Halfway down a page, I could even show you where it is on the page, in the middle of some mathematics, I had a clear confirmation that what I was reading was true. It was exactly the feeling I had had before come to me as I pondered the Lord's scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon, that I have had many times since. So I knew that the Holy Ghost understood whatever was true and what I might be asked on an examination in thermodynamics. You can imagine that I was tempted to ask God to send me the Holy Ghost during the examination so I wouldn't need to study further. I knew that He could do it, but I did not ask Him. I felt that He would rather have me learn to pay a price in effort. He may well have sent some help in the examination, but I was afraid that my motive might not be His. You have had that same choice to make often. It may have been when you were to be interviewed for a job. It may have even been when you were preparing for a talk or to teach a missionary discussion. Always there is the possibility that you may have a selfish purpose for yourself that is less important to the Lord. For instance, I may want a good grade in a course when he prefers that I learn how to work hard in the service of others. I may want a job because of the salary or the prestige when he wants me to work somewhere else to bless the life of someone I don't even know yet. He surely will have purposes for your hearing me speak tonight. He knows you. I might have a desire to entertain or impress you, but I have tried to suppress my desire and surrender to His. I saw a man do that once. It changed my life. A member of the General Authorities came to speak to a conference where I was sitting on the stand. I was in the local priesthood presidency. I knew personally the struggles of the local families and the members. He, the General Authority, had just flown in from a long assignment in Europe. He was obviously tired. He stood to speak in the meeting. It seemed to me that he rambled from one subject to another. At first, I felt sorry for him. I thought that he was failing to give a polished sermon of the kind I knew he had delivered many times. After a while, I was thrilled to recognize that as he moved from one apparently unrelated topic to another, he was touching the need of every poor, struggling member and family we were trying to help. He did not know them or their needs, but God did. 
are grateful I am that his motive was not to give a great sermon or to be seen as a powerful prophet. He must have done what I hope you and I will always do. He must have prayed something like this, Father, I need thy help. I am tired. Please guide me with the Holy Ghost. Bless these people. I love them. I ask only that I can do thy will to help them. The Holy Ghost came that night, and the Lord's will was done. The General Authority had spent a lifetime feeding himself and others on the good word of God. He had served the Master faithfully. He was a special witness of Jesus Christ because he had paid the price to be one. All of that came from keeping his motives as closely tied as he could to what the Lord wanted. That made it possible for the Lord to send the whisperings of the Holy Ghost to his servant and so bless the people. Now, I surely don't understand all the meaning of the words in the scriptures, quote, the pure love of Christ, unquote. But one meaning I do know is this. It is a gift we are promised when the Atonement of Jesus Christ has worked in us. The gift is to want what he wants. When our love is the love he feels, it is pure because he is pure. And when we feel our desire for people is moving towards being in line with his, that is one of the ways that we can know that we are being purified. When we pray for the gifts of the Spirit, and we should, one for which I pray is that I might have pure motives to want what he wants for our Father's children and for me, and to feel as well as to say that what I want is his will to be done. That is what these words from Moroni mean to me that you've heard often. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if you have not charity, you are nothing. But charity never faileth. Wherefore, cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail. But charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father, with all the energy of heart, that ye may be filled with this love, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified, even as he is pure. Amen. I leave you my blessing that your pleadings for the gifts of the Spirit to serve the Lord will be granted. And I leave you my love. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Embracing God's Gifts and His Influence. We've just heard from Henry B. Eyring. After the break, we'll return with Michael T. Ringwood for Everything We Need. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Embracing God's Gifts and His Influence. Next is Michael T. Ringwood, a General Authority 70 of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled Everything We Need. I am honored to be with you today. 
thank you for being here with us this morning. I entered BYU as a freshman in the fall of 1976. I remember vividly the first devotional that semester held on September 7, 1976. I can't remember if I skipped my class before the devotional that morning, but I did arrive very early to make sure I had a good seat. The speaker was the prophet, President Spencer W. Kimball. I was excited to hear from him. I was beginning my first year at BYU with the mission coming up for me sometime in 1977. I was anxious for the message that would bless me personally. I was positive that I prayed that his talk would touch me and provide needed guidance. The university president was President Dallin H. Oaks. After he introduced the student body to President Kimball, he lowered the two microphones that were on the pulpit at the time, and President Kimball stood where, or very close to where, I am standing this morning. He had an additional microphone attached to his glasses because of the very soft voice he had after surgery on his vocal cords. President Kimball began speaking about marriage and divorce. Not the topic I was expecting. His message was a landmark message at the time and was later published as a pamphlet for use throughout the Church. I still have my copy of that talk. I must admit, however, that at the time it was not the talk I wanted to hear. Marriage seemed so far into the future for me. And it was, by the way. <laughs> Looking back, I wish I had processed and reacted differently than I did. I should have been willing to receive whatever the prophet of God felt directed to teach me and applied that teaching in my life. This was the prophet of God, after all, and he was speaking to the world through the audience of BYU students. Now, obviously, I am not the prophet, and I am not giving a message to the world. I am only speaking to you. Yet I have prayed and fasted to know what Heavenly Father would have you here today. And because some of you may feel like I did back in 1976 at my first devotional, I pray for the Holy Ghost this morning to tailor this message to you personally, to meet your needs now and in the future. I'd like to begin with a question I think you will find interesting. If President Russell M. Nelson was standing here this morning and he asked each of you what he could do for you, how would you respond? Would you have a list of favors? Would you ask him to put in a good word for some of your professors? Do you have questions that you would want him to answer? Or maybe you just want a selfie with him. How would you respond? In the Old Testament, a prophet of God asks that same question of a woman whose name we are not told. As the prophet Elijah went about fulfilling his prophetic duties, he often passed through a town called Shunem. Whenever Elijah passed by, this woman constrained him to stop and eat bread. After one of Elisha's visits, the woman turned to her husband and said, I perceive that this is an holy man of God 
which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Now, just as this woman envisioned, the next time Elisha came, he stayed in the room. The account reads, And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. The scriptures don't tell us how the woman felt as the prophet went into this little room she had prepared just for him. But they do tell us how Elijah felt. He asked his servant to give her a message directly from him. It was, in effect, What can I do for you? Or, to be scripturally precise, Thou hast been careful with us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Then the servant offered two options for the woman to consider. Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? Certainly these suggestions were within the rights of the prophet to make. He had already been of great help to both the king in Israel and the king in Judah. He had helped them obtain victory in war. Certainly the king and the captain would help Elijah in any way they could. So, this woman could probably have negotiated anything she desired in response to the question, What is to be done for thee? This is the foundation for our question this morning. What would each of you ask for? How would you answer the prophet today? I personally love the response she gave. She answered, I dwell among mine own people. Or, as I interpret it, I have everything I need. I am at home with family, or perhaps we have plenty and to spare. Does her answer surprise you? It did me. Whatever her motivation, her answer caused me to think about what my response would be. Do I know enough about God's plan? Am I secure enough in what God has given me and in my discipleship to His Son that I could say to the prophet, I have everything I need? How about you? Do you have everything you need? As I have pondered this question, I have been reminded of a few precious truths I would like to share with you this morning. A verse from the Book of Mormon tells us that all things have been done in the wisdom of Him who knoweth all things. A New Testament verse tells us that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. These verses don't guarantee that nothing will go wrong in our life. These verses do teach us that when hard, stressful, or unfair things happen in our lives, God's purposes for us will not be thwarted by others. Remember the words of Paul, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I testify that because of the gifts Heavenly Father has given us, Nothing can separate us from God's love. 
He has already provided us everything we need. Paul's words powerfully affirm this truth. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So you ask, what is the purpose of these gifts God freely gives us, and what are they? If you are familiar with classical stories, myths, and legends, you will remember that when a hero undertakes a quest, a mentor often gives him or her gifts for the journey. These gifts could be special clothing, implements, food, healing medicine, or key information. Whatever the gifts may be, they are essential to the hero's success. They are the provisions to meet the challenges of head, to pass the test that transforms the hero, giving him or her strength to overcome hard things and to do the work he or she is destined to do. And in many cases, the importance of the gifts isn't fully understood until they are needed and used. And so it is with us. Our Heavenly Father has provided us with great and marvelous gifts for our journey here in mortality and for the greatest quest of all, to come unto our Savior and gain eternal life. These gifts help us navigate the tests and tribulations of life, the distresses, persecutions, famines, both temporal and spiritual, injuries, and even death. Without them, we cannot succeed. Yet with them, we are transformed, strengthened, and readied to return to the presence of our eternal Father and receive all that He has. The foundational gift, then, is the gift that is given to all. It is the light of Christ. I love how Lehi explained this gift to Jacob. He taught that men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil. Mormon taught that this gift is given unto you to judge, that ye may know good from evil. And the way to judge is plain, that ye may know with a perfect knowledge as the daylight is from the dark night. No wonder Paul taught, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I gain great comfort knowing that this gift comes first and comes to every child born on earth. It only makes sense that a loving Heavenly Father who desperately wants us to return to Him would first give us the ability to know right from wrong. I know that it is often difficult to explain how the light of Christ works in a clear and easy fashion. I also know that if we try to talk ourselves out of something that seems good and right, we are definitely fighting against this great and fundamental gift, the light of Christ. Enoch was taught by Heavenly Father the sequence of the gift of the light of Christ and the gift of agency, which is also essential to our returning home to Heavenly Father. He said, Behold these thy brethren. I gave unto them their knowledge in the day I created them, and in the Garden of Eden gave I unto man his agency. Does that scripture bring you comfort? It does for me.
Heavenly Father gives us the ability to choose because He has given us the way to know which choices are right, as plainly as knowing the difference from daylight and the dark night. This gift of agency is a crucial part of Heavenly Father's plan for us to return home to Him. Forcing us to choose His way would not have worked, because it is in choosing Him and His ways that we become like Him. In that same message to Enoch, Heavenly Father taught, And unto thy brethren have I said an also given commandment, that they should love one another and that they should choose me, their Father. I am grateful that He trusted us to use the gifts of the light of Christ and agency so we can choose Him for ourselves. The more we use these gifts, the more we appreciate their role in bringing us back to our heavenly home. This gift of agency required that we receive another gift, one that we don't always consider a blessing. It is the gift of commandments. After teaching Jacob that we are instructed sufficiently to know good from evil, Lehi's very next phrase was, and the law is given. Heavenly Father provides us borders and boundaries that help us. If we exercise our agency righteously, we can navigate life's straight and narrow path back home. In 1831, Joseph Smith was taught in a revelation that we are crowned with commandments, not a few. I love viewing commandments as a precious gift from a loving Heavenly Father. Without commandments, without borders and boundaries, it would be difficult to know that we are exercising our agency wisely, and it would be difficult to know if the choices we are making will lead us back to Him. But even with commandments, because we have our agency, Heavenly Father knew we would falter, make unwise decisions, and even wander from the path back to Him. This reality results in the greatest gift a loving Heavenly Father could give—the gift of His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love how President Gordon B. Hinckley described this gift in a poem when he wrote, The gift of Him who loved all men, the Son of God, the Holy One. It is this gift of Christ and His Atonement that Lehi describes as the fruit of the tree of life. It is the gift of the Son of God that both nourishes and heals, for it allows us to overcome our poor choices, repent, and receive forgiveness, so we are worthy to enter Heavenly Father's presence again. Closely associated with the gift of Christ and His Atonement is the gift of grace. Heavenly Father knew that to dwell with Him eternally requires more than cleanliness. It requires that we be changed. Without grace, we would forever be aware of our shortcomings with no way to improve them. Because of the gift of grace, our hearts, desires, and nature can be made holy. In order to benefit from the gifts of Christ and His Atonement and grace, we need another essential gift—the gift of the Holy Ghost. This gift allows us to know that Jesus is the Christ. It is a gift available to all God's children to assist them in their search for truth. 
for the Holy Ghost teaches and testifies of all truth and offers direction. Without this vital and essential gift, we would never exercise the faith required to follow Christ and overcome our poor decisions. Without the Spirit, we could never find comfort amid the trials of life. Without this messenger of grace, we could never be sanctified. Often we interpret the term gift of the Holy Ghost as a gift given to baptized and confirmed members of the Church. But the gift of the Holy Ghost given after baptism is, in fact, the promise that we can have the Holy Ghost with us always, based upon our striving to keep God's commandments. Yet the Holy Ghost, or the influence of the Holy Ghost, is truly available to all Heavenly Father's children as they seek to know Him and respond to the light of Christ in exercising their agency. Indeed, now we can see that all things have been done in the wisdom of Him who knoweth all things. Our Heavenly Father knew what we needed, and He gave us the gifts necessary to navigate the paths that leads to our heavenly home. No wonder a woman who could recognize a prophet when she fed one answered his query about how he could repay her for her kindness with the answer, I dwell among my people, or I have all I need. Some here may be wondering, are these all the gifts I need to return to Heavenly Father? In these spiritually perilous times, don't we face some challenges that are unique to us, challenges that require something more? The answer is yes, which is why you need to hear the rest of the Shumanite woman's story the part that is critically important for you and me as saints living in the latter days. After the Shumanite woman gave her answer, she went away. But the prophet Elisha would not rest. He still wanted to know what more he could do for her. In response, his servant pointed out that she had no child and her husband was old. And so he called for her. He called for the woman to come back. Elisha then promised her a son which she later delivered, just as the prophet had said. And I love how he said it to her. About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elijah has said unto her, according to the time of life. But that's not the end of the story. After several years, this son would die and then be brought back to life by the prophet Elisha miraculously giving her son to her twice. But even that's not the end of the story. After several more years, Elisha told this woman to flee into a different land because of a famine that was going to last seven years. She took her husband and son and fled, returning only after the famine ended. The prophet of the Lord knew what the Shumanite woman needed. Need she probably probably believed could not be addressed, and future needs she couldn't possibly anticipate. But because she answered the call of a prophet and believed in his promises, her needs were met. I testify that we do, in fact, have all the gifts we need, but only when our gifts include the gift of a living prophet. He is a prophet who calls us to act and then promises us the very blessings we need now in these last days. Consider these calls and promises from the prophet of your day 
Russell M. Nelson. He called us to find a way to make an appointment regularly with the Lord to be in His holy house and then keep that appointment with exactness and joy. And He promised that the Lord would bring about the miracles He knows we need in our lives. He called us to transform our home or apartment or bedroom into a sanctuary of faith, to remodel our home into a center of gospel learning. And He promised that the influence of the adversary in our lives will decrease. He called us to do our best to restore the correct name of the Lord's Church. And He promised that God would pour down His power and blessings alike of which we have never seen. These are only a few of His calls to us on behalf of the Lord. And with every call, there are specific and glorious promises to all who obey. I invite you to search President Nelson's teachings, especially from General Conference. Hear the Lord's call to you. Obtain His promises. And then prepare to count the miracles and blessings that come as a result. We've spoken about a few of the gifts of God that God has given to each of us. The light of Christ. Agency. Commandments. The Savior and His Atonement. Grace. The Holy Ghost. And our living prophet upon the earth today, President Russell M. Nelson. For me, knowing that Heavenly Father's plan includes these precious gifts has enabled me to never give up, even when the odds seem insurmountable. These gifts give us an eternal perspective so that no matter what life throws at us, we have strength and confidence to overcome the world and to move forward with patience and with faith. Now, I know there are some sitting here this morning with concerns weighing heavily on you. Some are wondering how you will possibly do everything you see in your paths as you seek to reach your goals in life. Some are dealing with heartache and pain for loss of loved ones. Some are dealing with illness. Some are dealing with anxiety and depression. Others may be dealing with loneliness. No matter what your concern is, I bear witness that precious gifts of Heavenly Father are still there for you, and they are enough to get you to the only destination that matters in the end. As you keep your eyes on God's work and glory, your immortality and eternal life, Please remember one more of His many gifts from heaven. It is the gift of happiness. Heavenly Father doesn't just want us to return home. He wants us to find happiness in doing so. One of Heavenly Father's first commandments to Adam and Eve was to go and be happy. I believe the gifts God has given all His children will help us be happy. Heavenly Father taught us through a prophet of God about His desires for us to dwell with Him in a state of never-ending happiness. Not only did King Benjamin include this in his sermon for the people of his day, it was included for us to give us hope that happiness can come 
no matter our circumstances or station in these latter days. The only requirement to eternal happiness is to keep the commandments and endure in faithfulness to the end. As President Nelson has taught, and President Wortham quoted last week, our happiness and joy has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. Perhaps using the Savior's word will help us understand this better. Jesus used the phrase, Be of good cheer, three times as he walked the paths of his life. The first time was to the man with palsy lying on a bed when he said, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. The second time was when his disciples saw Jesus walking on the water and they cried out in fear. To them he simply said, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. The third time was during the Last Supper when he said to his disciples, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Indeed, we have every reason to be of good cheer. Christ came to bring forgiveness, to help us have faith, which is the opposite of fear. He truly did overcome the world, allowing us to return home through the exercise of our gift of agency as we heed the gift of the light of Christ in keeping our gift of commandments and partaking of the gift of the Atonement of Christ. And all of this comes because we have the gift of the Holy Ghost to testify to us the reality and truth of Heavenly Father's plan. We truly do have everything we need. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Embracing God's Gifts and His Influence with thoughts from Henry B. Eyring and Michael T. Ringwood. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.